Hello students and welcome back to another Lore of the Iron Kingdoms with me, Professor Castor. Today we're actually going to be talking about Kodor and the Kodoran armies. And the army we are going to be referring to is the is known as the 5th Division or the Winter Guard Infantry Armies. Which, for anybody that doesn't know, when you go into Kodor's military, which is voluntary, quote-unquote, it's highly encouraged, and you would want to do that, or else they will volunteer you themselves. And usually when they do that, they will put you in certain armies or certain areas that you don't want to be. Mostly, well... It's easier just to apply and serve the motherland. You only have to serve the motherland for a tour, so it's not super bad. And every single Kadorn-born citizen has been in the military at least a little bit. But when you go into the military, you start out at base level. It's, these aren't any specialty. These are not Man of War. These are not Iron Fangs. These are not Doom Reavers, although Doom Reavers are more of a class of themselves. Um, these are not Irregulars. These guys are the run of the crop. These guys are the backbone of the Kadoran military. These are the daughters. These are the sons of the motherland. Not really that specialty trained in any any word. So well, we are going to be going over these guys today. Also, we are going to be going over the assault commandos as well, just because these divisions work in tandem with each other, especially in trench warfares. Assault commandos work very well. So we'll be going over them at the end. Those guys are a little bit more specially trained, but we'll get to them in a little bit. And before we begin, thank you, Privateer Press, for letting us read your phenomenal lore. And please like, subscribe, comment, let us know how we're doing. Let us know if there's any cool stories you want us to hear about. And let your friends and fellow gamers know about this particular YouTube channel so we can keep this steam train rolling. And let's begin with the basic cream of the crop, the backbone, the Winter Guard Infantry. And we'll be reading both the Winter Guard Infantry and the Winter Guard Officer and Standard Attachment as well, just because that makes it easier to read. And then we'll discuss the Mark 3 and Mark 4 changes at the end as per usual. Winter Guard Infantry, a Kodor unit. There's from Flavor Text, so we'll read that before we begin. It is a joy of every son and daughter of the motherland to take up arms and defend her to the death. He who would avoid the service does not deserve to breathe the same air as the patriot who stands next to him. Lord Regent Velibor. And that really does kind of sum up the entire Winter Guard infantry and how they choose to enlist. When a Kadoran male reaches 17 winters, he is conscripted into the Winter Guard. Women are also accepted into the ranks, though they are discouraged from volunteering if they have children in their care. Some conscripts are assigned to police force that patrol the towns and cities of Kodor, while others are sent to the front lines. As the war escalates and unexpected threats manifest even within Kodor's borders, the people increasingly look to the Winter Guard for protection. Winter Guard equipment has changed only slightly since their inception. Their battle axes are stout and well-suited for mundane task in the field, as well as for hacking the enemy should they close. Most infantry, however, rely on the blunderbust, a powerful if somewhat inaccurate weapon that uses a hefty blast of powder to fire its heavy slug capable of penetrating the armor of a warjack. Though southern rifles disdain the short range of these squat weapons, there is no doubt they pack a powerful punch, particularly when the winter guard concentrate fire. 
relatively cheap to manufacture and using ammunition that can be produced in bulk, these guns place little strain on the Ghidorn treasury. The Winter Guard make up the majority of the Ghidorn's military and are found at the core of every garrison and substantial force. Their training is designed to get the young soldiers immediately into battle. Empress Anne Vanar has been able to maintain constant reinforcements and field a formidable army at an affordable cost by running many Winter Guard training camps across Kodor. From the largest complexes in Volengrad to the royal outpost of Oldenthrost, through their training, members of the Winter Guard learn what it means to be truly Kodoran, to love their nation by risking death in battle. And then we'll move on to Winter Guard officers and standard, and we're going to read their flavor text. Since my childhood, I have dreamt of nothing more than to serve the motherland, like my forefathers, and I stand proud with my brothers and sisters in arms, true patriots all. Corporal Boris Andovich, Winter Guard Standard Bearer, 3rd Force, 5th Border Legion. The Winter Guard is the foundation of the Ghidorn military, and its stalwart officers form the bedrock of the Winter Guard. Even the lowest-ranking officers are heroes of the people, for it is they who lead the Motherland's armies on the front lines. As the war wages on, more and more young Winter Guard officers are sent directly to the front after graduating at Druznia, the elite military academy and officer training school in the Ghidorn capital of Korsk. Druzina cadets are drilled mercilessly night and day to ensure their battle readiness upon completion of their training. The intense exercises prepares the newest officers to push their units to the limit and well beyond. The officers' harshness tempered with a fair and even hand instituted by centuries of tradition garners them respect, admiration, and even love from the men who realize the direction of a good leader can often mean the difference between life and death. The honor of becoming a Winter Guard standard bearer can be earned only in the trial and fire in the battlefield. It is a great inspiration for the common soldier of Kodor to see one of their own selected for the honor and given the opportunity to become a living symbol of their beloved empire. Any soldier is brave enough to place the colors of the motherland before his own life as a true patriot. He can march into battle secure in the knowledge that if he should fall, one of his comrades will catch the standard even before it hits the ground and carry on the sacred duty in his place. And I've actually fought alongside these guys a lot in my military campaign, usually with Kodor, um, just because, well, these guys make up the bulk. Like, you're going to run into winter guards in the cities. You're going to run into winter guards in the field. Like, these guys are all over the place. And even though they don't have, you know, bunch of specialty training they're not running around in huge armor made of steam you know these guys are the backbone like any military force like you know it has to be made up of everybody not just specialty units and you can get these guys out quick and you can keep the force on any enemies real fast um, these guys are cheap easy to muster easy to work with and they do have quite a bit of flexibility because they are more expendable type of troops which is why the motherland has them, because you're always going to have to have troops on the field. And sometimes I would say these guys are a little bit braver than most other troops, because these guys don't need heavy armor to go fight for the motherland. These guys are the motherland. So, but let's read the Mark III to Mark IV changes of these guys and see what they got. Oh, also, side note, I'm reading the older archives, so the Mark III to Mark IV changes might be a little bit more different, but... Mark IV is what we're looking at mostly, so we'll go with that. 
But let's start with the Winter Guard Infantry basic models. Alrighty, Mark 3 to Mark 4. It appears their stat line is pretty much exactly the same. Uh, speed 6, strength... Oh, <laughs> we removed strength so that doesn't really matter anymore. Mat 5, Rat 5, Defense 12, Arm 13. Uh, these guys were given a dual attack in their Mark 4 updates, which is awesome because that gives these guys just a little bit more punch. Um, these guys, their blunderbuss is still a Rat 5, a Range 8, and a Pound 12. However, these guys also have a Gunfighter, which allows them to shoot while in melee, which makes them even more dangerous because since they have dual attack and they can shoot in melee without any penalties, their blunderbuss is a POW-12, which is awesome. Um, their power on their axe is only a POW-8, so these guys are not hitting crazy hard. They're not hitting crazy good, but they are crazy cheap, and you can really buff these guys up really well with the rest of the models that we'll be reading on. Uh, but let's go over the uh, mark for changes for the officer and standard. And it appears they simplified these guys up a little bit more. They used to do a lot more random stuff, but... We will go over them right now. The uh, stat line is pretty much the same. Still speed 6, still a rat 6, still a mat 6, defense 12, arm 13, yada yada yada. Um, these guys still all have combined range attacks, which is pretty normal. Uh, it appears they removed Bob and Weave off of these guys, so they no longer get a plus 2 defense when they're making their move, but they're trying to balance out the game, so I imagine I understand that. Uh, it appears they removed their combined melee attack, which is unfortunate because that would have been awesome. But they are just a power A attack, so I don't think they were thinking they were going to do all that much. And their axes, so I'm like, yeah, it's whatever. Um, looks like the officer gives them extended fire, which actually increases their their range by three inches. So it gets, actually gets them up to a 11 inches, which is not bad for a POW 12 weapon. And they have combined range, so that also helps. Uh, their expended fire is only a one-time use, unfortunately, so that really kind of narrows down that. The standard bearer now has inspiration, giving all these guys a plus one to their attack rolls, which is greatly helpful for a guy that only has a mat and rat of five, so it gets them up to six, so they're a little bit more accurate, thank goodness. Uh, he also grants rise, too, so at the beginning of your at your maintenance phase, all these guys will stand back up, so if they have tough and they take a seat, which they probably will be getting tough because they do have some other models in this army that would give them tough, they will stand back up in maintenance phase without having to, without having to waste their action or their movement, so that is great. And of course they have take up, so somebody else is going to be picking up their weapon. So these guys are still pretty dangerous, uh, just a lot more simplified than the original which is always nice, makes these guys move a lot faster. And again, these guys are very cheap. You guys can ring these guys out in bulk on the field. You can see a lot of them, get them moving. I have seen some army types back in Mark Three that, uh, or Mark Two, Mark Two, that allowed the Winter Guard Infantry Standard Unit to actually switch places with artillery units, if they were also Winter Guard artillery. So it was called cross-trained, and if you, say, lost a grunt on an artillery, then you could switch it out with a Winter Guard infantry, which is always fun. And then I think it gave you the spotter ability too, but I think that was called the five, the 501st Iron Rain army build, which they don't do that anymore, but it was a cool concept back then. Uh, 
pretty sure they don't do that now in Mark 4 because that would make a lot more complications than we need for a streamlined game. But let's move on to the next. Alrighty, we're actually going over the Winter Guard Infantry Rocketeers. These guys were, in Mark 3, a weapon attachment. Now they are a three-man unit. So that was a little update there. Um, their flavor text. They watched us take position, and it was not until the rockets consumed their front ranks that the smug expression left their faces, illuminated by glorious fire. And as you can probably figure out, these guys are rocketeers. So rockets, fun. Occupied Lael has become a windfall of military knowledge and weaponry for the legions of Kodor. Under the watchful eye of the Grey Lord Covenant, the alchemists of the Order of the Golden Crucible have been forced to stoke the fire of the great Kodoran war machine and add to its growing arsenal. Among the products of these oppressed labors are man-portable rockets of devastating potential. Carried by specialists known as rocketeers, typically bold and loyal sons of the motherland, the weapons add tremendous punch to the Winter Guard units. Though specially trained is required in the extended care and handling of the volatile weapons, a soldier needs little instructions for their actual use. The appearance of these easily operated support weapons was an unpleasant shock for Kadoran's enemies. Accustomed as they were to the short threat range of standard Winter Guard blunderbuss, the first Signarn and Protectorate troops to encounter rocketeers suffered severe casualties. The Kadoran infantry fired rockets into the enemy ranks on their approach, blasting holes into the enemy formation, sending them reeling. A few well-placed rockets suppressed enemy fire and movements long enough for the rest of the units to close and mop up any survivors with their standard weaponry. Kadorn officers have determined that the inclusion of rocketeers in the Winter Guard units has bolstered morale and commanders supplement their units with deadly support weapons whenever possible. And as mentioned, these guys are now a three-man unit and no longer a weapon attachment, which gives these guys a lot more space to play. And I've never actually been hit with one of these, but they look agonizing. But let's go over the Mark III to Mark IV changes and see what else they've done outside of making these their own individual unit. Alright, Winter Guard Rocketeers. It appears they're still speed six. Um, these guys are actually a matte... Six and Rat Six, so I guess they're a little bit more specialized training than the standard units. Alright, so the original rocket is a POW 14, or sorry, a Range 14, AOE 3, POW 12. Um, they were given a blunderbuss back then. Um, I suppose because it was a weapon attachment, they had, a, they had standard weaponry as well. Um, so a lot of these probably will change. Um, with the unit instead of a weapon attachment, they became they lost combined range, which makes sense. Um, they still have their range 14. They still have a pound 12, and they and they have an AOE 2, which means they hit the model they're aiming for, and they hit two other models within two inches of it, and that's how AOEs work now. Um, they still have their axe with a mat 6. Um, also, on their rocket, they have brutal damage now which on a direct hit they get an additional die to the weapon's damage rolls against the target hit directly. So the main guy they were shooting at they get a boosted die which is always nice on range attacks especially ones as low as 12. So that is great and you can shoot three times because it is a three-man unit now and not just a weapon attachment. So that should well at least make the setting up these guys a little bit easier no more Death Star type of group, but let's move on. 
Alrighty, we're going to do the Winter Guard Rifle Corps. The Kodor Nunin. I'm gonna read the flavor text. I have only one life for Kodor and the Empress, but I have 100 bullets for their enemies. Unofficial motto of the Rifle Corps. The bulk of Winter Guard troops are issued time-tested and reliable blunderbusses, but as part of the ongoing modernization of the Kodoran army, some conscripts trained to use longer-range rifles. The Rifle Corps is one of the more successful Kodoran military experiments, made possible by recent military successes. Funded by the local Kayazi patrons and their spoils of war, each company of riflemen comes from a specific region and is attached to an existing Winter Guard platoon. The selected to join the Rifle Corps receive advanced training with their Blastavia military rifles before returning to the front where they fight alongside their fellow Winter Guard. Winter Guard chosen to join the Rifle Corps must endure weeks of intense drills. They are expected to be able to field strip and re reassemble their rifles in a matter of seconds and spend endless hours practicing breech load rapid fire techniques. Each corpsman must be able to aim, fire, and reload his rifle flawlessly in concert with his unit. Even as they load the single round into the breach, they are already taking aim for their next target. When ordered by their sergeants, the Rifle Corps squad can produce such tremendous volume of fire in general areas to make the virtually impassable to enemy troops. Additionally, the Rifle Corps trained continuously in formational fire drills. Each member of the unit becomes unconsciously aware of his place in formation, kneeling or moving aside so to never block his comrade's firing lane. All the training combines to make these men and women some of the most reliable troops in the General Kadoran Army. The Rifle Corps has a growing reputation for deadlines, and many fresh Winter Guard conscripts aspire to join their ranks. And I've seen these guys in action. These guys can, well... They can hold down places real good with their fire, because unlike a blunderbust where you have to load everything from the front, these things just slap a bullet in from the side and you, you keep on keeping on. So these guys are very quick. But let's read their Mark III to Mark IV changes and see if they've gotten any better, any worse, or they're the same. Alrighty. Well, it appears they are still a, a Speed 6, Mat 5, Rat 5. Which is weird since they have special training and you expect them to aim a little bit better. Oh well. I still have a defense of 12. Still have armor 13. And it appears these guys were nerfed down a little bit, unfortunately. But that does happen because these guys are incredibly cheap for a five-man unit. Their range weapon is still a range 14. Um, rate of fire 1. A power 10 weapon. So a little bit less aggressive than the blunderbuss, but at a range 14, you could take uh, you could take some good long shots. They also are useful enough to have a combined range, so they can lay into something pretty good at a POW 15 at range 14, which can well it can do quite a bit of damage to medium and heavy jacks if focused enough. So apart from that, they still have their axe which is abysmally weak, but they are just normal people, so that's what goes there. They lost rank attacks, which allowed them to shoot through other models, and they lost suppressing fire, which allowed them to pretty much mark an AoE that, you know, people couldn't go past without getting hurt, so that's unfortunate, but I suppose they were trying to make this a little more streamlined, and that's what they did. But these guys are incredibly cheap, so 
let's keep on keeping on. Alrighty, let's go to the Winter Guard Field Gun Crew. Now we're in the Artillery Weapon Units. Now we're gonna read the flavor text. I have heard men speak of a hand of fate guiding the outcomes of battle, and I find such talk to be complete nonsense. In my experience, fate is on the side of the big guns. Commandant Gervalt Uresk. And of course he would know, because he loves artillery, and he uses it quite regularly along with his Winter Guard. So, great. But let's read. The Winter Guard field gun is a marvel of modern munition. The gun's design was submitted by the Kadoran Mechanic Assembly in the response to Supreme Commandant Urusk's mandate for the modern army supported by powerful artillery. The creation of the field gun would have been impossible less than a decade earlier, but advances in manufacturing and assembly have been spurred on by Kadoran's ongoing war efforts. Precision machining allowing for the creation of every part of the gun, from its tempered steel barrel to its highly accurate shells it fires. Sometimes mistaken as an antiquated warship deck gun, the weapon has proven to be devastating surprise for more than one enemy commander. On the field gun is in its firing position, there can be no doubt as to its true destructive power. The gun is crewed by a three-man team of Winter Guard that aim, fire, and reload the weapon with ease that comes only from countless hours of relentless drills and battle experience. For the sake of efficiency and practicality, each member of the crew is thoroughly trained in all aspects of the weapon's operation and maintenance. Working in unison, the guardsmen blow holes through the enemy lines with a constant barrage of precision cannon fire. The field gun can clear a path through the hardest of targets with murderous regularity. And as the thunderous echoes of the field gun fire resounds across the battlefield, it serves as a fatal reminder to those who oppose Kodor. To silence her gun, you must silence the motherland herself. Yeah, and these guns are actually a pretty a dang accurate. Well, when I say accurate, it's in comparison to the mortar that we'll be reading of here in a little bit. But I believe Kodor's... Uh, takeover of Lael has done updated some of these in Mark 4, so we will be... Well, let's begin with the Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes for the Winter Guard Field Gun crew so we can keep this thing moving. Alrighty. It appears it's still a Mat 5, Rat 5. Um, speed 3, so it's actually gotten a little slower, which makes plenty of sense, because once this thing gets into position, you kind of just leave it in position. Um, looks like the original field gun was a range 16 but they narrowed it back down to a 14 which makes plenty of sense because the 16 is kind of crazy and because they've actually upped the damage to a pound 15 so it was a pound 14 now it's a pound 15 with brutal damage and knockdown so on a direct hit they get an additional boost die on their on their damage rolls which is awesome and then they get auto knockdown in the original one it was only critical knockdown now it's when he hits you, you knock down. And at a POW 15, this thing is clearing guys off the field real quick. Especially solos if they aim at them. Or if they can't aim. And things they removed from this weapon. Uh, critical knockdown. It just auto knocks down. So no more critical. Um, light artillery. No longer a thing. This guy just moves three inches, which makes sense. And they removed range finder. So they removed this guy's ability to gain any kind of... Well aim bonus from having people near him 
It used to give you a plus two to the attack when you had a grunt next to you, but they just removed that for ease of use, I imagine. But this guy is way easier to play with now, and I look forward to working with them in the future battles alongside Kodor if I am, well, if I ever sign a contract with them again, which I doubt, but you know, we'll see how it goes. But moving on to Winterguard Mortar Crew. Flavor text. Artillery is the final judgment of gods and kings. Winterguard 88th Artillery Company motto. And that is true, because Urusk used these guys to literally wipe out an entire army of Lailies when they were not expecting artillery was already aimed in the field before they got there. It was a poor decision for every commander in Lail. Let's move on. The light mortar utilized by the Winter Guard was developed as a result of Commandant Urusk's work to modernize the Kadorn military. First deployed during the invasion of Lael, this weapon was instrumental in the early days of that conflict. The Lailies and their Signaran allies were unprepared for Kadorn troops supported by light artillery that could reposition and rapidly adapt to the flow of battle. Well-trained crews laid down a rain of fire that decimated troops and fortifications alike, leading to a swift victory. Though still quite heavy, each individual mortar is far lighter than traditional artillery as well as being simple to operate, easy to maintain, inexpensive to build, and devastating to the enemy. The incorporation of portable mortars into the Winter Guard companies has allowed them to become increasingly self-reliant, bringing sufficient firepower to serve as their own artillery while still reacting to enemy movements with ease. Even the single mortar crew is capable of intimidating firepower, and multiple mortar crews can unleash protracted barrages of increasingly destructive power. The Winter Guard troops charge from behind the rolling curtains of fire as the mortar crews sustain their barrage until the moment just before the soldiers reach their opposing lines. The enemy must take cover from the incoming blast and the shock rolling barrage leaves the survivors stunned and demoralized. Easy targets for the infantry of the Winter Guard. Truth be told, the mortar's relatively inaccuracy our shorter ranges has led to a number of deaths of friendly fire, but most officers shrug off these additional casualties as the price of war. And actually, we've actually upgraded these quite a bit since that, because with Lely's technology and, you know, of course, Urusk involvement, we've actually moved these guys well beyond what they were back in the olden days from this original text. So let's see what Mark three to mark four changes has and my personal experience with these i've seen them in action i've seen 10 of these guys line up take out walls like no one's business if these guys are shooting at something that doesn't move these guys are going to hit it and if these guys are shooting at something that does move well they're going to hit close enough to cause all sorts of unfortunate effects to them but let's see the mark three to mark four changes Alright, so Mark 3 to Mark 4, these guys have gotten way better. A little slower though, but way better. So, they're still a Mat 5, or yeah, still a Mat 5, still a Rat 4, which makes sense for what I'm about to read. Uh, their mortar has gotten a little shorter, so it's no longer a range 20. It's a range 18, which is still, you know, astounding. Things that they removed in Mark 4 is he's no longer inaccurate, so he's not going to be suffering that minus four like he was in Mark III. It's no longer light artillery. Well, at least he can still fire after he moves, so that's been taken out. Uh, he no longer has a minimum range. Uh, back in Mark III, his minimum range had to be eight inches or he couldn't shoot at it, so it had to be eight inches out or more. Um, and they removed 
rangefinders, so the grunts can't give this guy a plus two to their attack rolls, unfortunately. However, at a range 18, AoE 3, POW 16 weapon, this thing can literally set it up in one spot and just get that aiming bonus all day. And then he has arcing fire too, so he can ignore intervening models. So, yeah, this guy has gotten way better than he was. And, yeah, I would recommend getting two of these guys if you can in any army. Because having that kind of firepower from that far away is always useful for especially the Winter Guard units. And it's field control, and that's what these guys need. Lots and lots of field control. But, let's move on. Alrighty, and as mentioned, uh, with artillery comes people that are really good at running artillery. Which, we are going to be going over the Winter Guard Artillery a Captain. And these guys are relatively new, but always a great use of, well, manpower, especially if you can make these guys just the slightest better, because at a rat of four or five, these guys are not super accurate, but let's see if we can up those up with the Winter Guard Artillery Specialist, or Artillery Captain. Flavor text. The artillery captain of the Winter Guard understands the true strength of Ghidoran artillery. Under their command, crews lay down fearsome barrages just ahead of their advancing troops, decimating enemy lines while creating the chaotic environment that Ghidoran forces can turn to their advantage. Often friendly troops are caught in their east blasts, but captain knows such losses are necessary price of victory. And as far as artillery specialists go. I've worked with a couple artillery specialists from a number of different armies, including dwarves, and these guys are actually top tier. I would work with these guys anytime, just because I feel like Kodor just likes using artillery as much as it can, so these guys are very good at what they do. But let's go over the changes from Mark 3 to Mark 4 and see how much better they have gotten. Alright, stat line, still speed 6, mat 6, rat 6, Yada yada yada, normal stuff here. Alright, and what they have is they have tough, of course, because, you know, why wouldn't these guys have tough? They hang out with military, well, military weaponry all the time, and I imagine things blow up quite a bit, so these guys probably have pretty tough skin. Uh, one of the fun moves that these guys have is Artillerist, which in Mark III it was an action, so they actually had to target somebody to give them a plus two red on their next AoE. But now they just have to be near them. So if you guys have multiple artillery pieces all set up in the perfect spot and you have one of these guys around it at five inches, he automatically gives them a plus two to the rat when shooting their AOE weapons. So he just makes them even more better the way he does it. Uh, he has let go of a move called fire and displace as a special action. So I guess he no longer uses that. What he got instead was every model or every every weapon crew model within 10 inches of him can reposition at three inches so it's no longer a special action allowing this guy to actually make attacks himself without having to really force himself to help out so yeah this guy is artillerist so everybody within five gets a plus two to the rat for an aoe shot and it's a leadership role that gives everybody reposition that are weapon crews around him so yeah, I feel like this guy just got a little bit better, although he had to give up Veteran Leader. So I guess in Mark III, he had a Veteran Leader that gave Winter Guard models a plus one to their attack rolls, but that was let go. But I feel like he is way more better because he doesn't have to be real focused on one artillery piece at a time. It's just everything all at once, which I feel like that really makes him just 
just the hair more better than he was. But let's move on. And I guess that does it for the standard Winter Guard units. Now we're going to get into more of the specialized units and some of the solos for the Winter Guard armies. So let's begin. We're going to start with the battle mechanics. No matter how heavily armored the Great Kadoran Warjacks are, even they eventually wear down and become wrecked into a crush of battle. Battle mechanics are skilled and brave individuals who dodge bullets and evade explosions to get the huge battle machines back into the fight. These loyal brothers of the Kadoran Mechanic Assembly are patriots equal to any fighting soldier and often must withstand even heavier fire in the execution of their duties. Steadfast at the sight of spilled blood and oil, they are willing to put themselves in harm's way to conduct repairs. Before proving their knack with a wrench and being redeployed as battle mechanics, many of these skilled workers serve their expected time in the Winter Guard, so they are often older and more seasoned than their freshly recruited youths bearing blunderbusses next to them. Few enemies are foolish enough to underestimate the battle mechanics bearing wrenches, implements as capable at crushing skulls as they are at loosening stubborn oversized warjack bolts. Chiefs are the heart of battle mechanic teams. Sometimes the old vets get injured on the battlefield, but Kadorans do not let a simple thing like a shorn off limb get them down. Injured mechanics repair their own broken bodies with cleverly improvised mechanical limbs, often salvaged from finer gears and mechanisms from the ditress of the battlefield. These indomitable ingenuities show the same spirit and optimism the battle mechanics applied to their jacks they tend finding ways to the most challenging circumstances to engineering machines that can outlast any in battle and stand ready for the next. And I've seen these guys actually attack somebody with those wrenches and they actually do a hearty amount of damage with those wrenches as well as, you know, their normal stuff. But yeah, those wrenches they use are actually huge. So yeah, they, they will surprise you. But let's go over their battle mechanic officer, which is... I'm going to throw him in here just because he's an attachment to these guys, but he's actually a man of war because, well, sometimes you have to move large machinery in battle and to fix things, so they usually have him in a little bit larger engagements, so let's read him over. The battle mechanics of the Kadorn army are no mere support specialists, but are hardened veterans who have taken a part in as many battles as regular troops, their critical task is one of the most dangerous to be found, repairing warjacks in the midst of combat. Officers with combat experience are highly valued, particularly those who specialize in maintaining and repairing Kodor's formidable man-of-war corps and warjacks. Some of the proper qualifications and aptitudes are further trained in the use of steam-powered armor, affording them greater protection in the battlefield. Battle mechanic officers accompany their mechanics into the heart of the war to carry out necessary repairs, often under harsh battlefield conditions while taking enemy fire. Every battle mechanic officer knows his tools are as important to Kodoran victory as the weapons of soldiers whose armor he keeps functional. In addition to spending significant time in combat, officers are expected to have complete expertise in their trade. By the time a senior mechanic is given the command, he will have mastered all the tools and machines of mechanical warfare utilized by the Kadoran Mechanic Assembly, including battle-ready warjacks. The officer's skill with repairs and fabrications must be superlative, but it is their ability to maintain the notoriously dangerous man-of-war armor that is their most valued asset. And 
Again, like I said, the wrenches that these guys carry are bigger than the wrenches that battle mechanics carry because this guy is actually a great melee combatant as well as a great mechanic on the battlefield. But let's read over their Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes, shall we? All right, the standard, a battle mechanic. Not much has changed with this guy. Still a mat 5, defense 12, arm 12, basic guy. And he's still running his monkey wrench at a mat 5, power 8. So it doesn't seem like much, but they can really get stuff done. And they still have their D3 worth of healing. But instead of the repairs at a D3 range 1 inch, or range base to base like it was in Mark 3, it's now 1 inch away, which kind of allows you to squeeze in a few more to get a Warjack healed up almost to, well, as well as you can get them. But let's move on to the Battle Mechanics Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes. Alrighty, this guy is actually a Speed 4 because he is a Man of War. While well, he's running around in Man of War armor, his mat's actually a 6 because, again, as they mentioned, he is a veteran foremost before he became a mechanic. Um, his defense actually dropped down to 10. Uh, defense was 11. Armor 16. Uh, his armor actually went up to a 17, so he got a little slower. They packed him up with a little more armor, which gives these guys a lot more uh, well, repairability, I guess. Um, they removed his girded. So he no longer saves himself and base-to-base -base models from blast damage, um, unfortunately. But they did give him Empower, which is kind of crazy. They gave him Empower just because he's a mechanic, but there are other mechanics that have Empower. And Empower, what that does is actually it actually uh, fixes any Warjack suffering disruption and gives them one focus. So I guess he... I don't know if he electrocutes their cortex to give them more well, focus that their Warcaster can use or what, but yeah, giving them in power is actually amazing for these guys. Um, and then his repair skill is a D3 plus 3, so he's always healing 4 or more off of a Warjack, and it's at range 1 inch instead of base to base like it was, so gives them a little bit more range that you can get away from a Warjack, but yeah, you want to keep these guys running close. and. I've always been in armies that have mechanics just because, well, mechanics are always very useful to have around, especially in Kodor, and keeping all of your guys moving and keeping them in the fight longer, way beyond your enemy's ability to keep up with them, is always amazing. Also, these Man of War battle mechanic officers are repairable too, so if say the fight starts, you know, hitting these guys with blast damage or whatever, the rest of your mechanic assembly can go and, you know, put them back together so it keeps your mechanics running the mechanics. Always fun. But let's move on. Alrighty, let's talk about the fantastic Kodor Winter Guard character solo, Kovnik Joseph Grigorovich. The Winter Guard Kovniks are a pillar of our army. Men like Grigorovich, who could inspire his men to charge a mountain or besiege the sky, Forward Commander Sorska Kratikov, who was a man of war whenever she first got into the military before she got her fantastic powers. But let's read his story here, because he is a powerhouse. Literally, you can't go any Winter Guard army without this man, because he is so good at inspiring the troops to do all sorts of amazing things. Being Winter Guard is not glamorous. It does not bring the prestige associated with the heavily armored infantry or cavalry or even the Widowmakers, but without the Winter Guard, there could be no Kadorn army. 
they are more than a backbone. They are the entire body. It's flesh, it's blood, muscles, and sinew. No one understands this better than Joseph Gagorovich. He is a living embodiment of Gadorn military discipline and an inheritor of an ancient legacy of fearless soldiers. He is the fighting spirit of the implacable North. He does not question orders, he executes them. He does not dwell on losses, but only moves forward with his men, however few, to seize victory. Grigorovich knows no war is won without pavement and blood, but he is not reckless. There is no risk, he asks, of his men that he will not accept himself, and he would gladly die with them. He is a shrewd tactician, and even Supreme Commander Ursk praises his victories. For Grigorovich, a secret of success rests on his ability to spend the lives of soldiers only as the necessary coin to achieve his objectives. Exceptionally tall and thick-framed, even Kadoran standards, Grigorovich is older than he looks, having enlisted at his hometown of Skrikov and when Ivid Vanar was king. Many men his junior sit in comfortable retirement, advising the high command or serving as commanders or commandants from the warmth of command post. This is of no concern to Grigorovich, who thinks such men are jealous of him. He is allowed the daily joy of battle and a chance to fight directly in the wars of his nation. A day he cannot kill the enemy of the motherland is a wasted day. Gogorovich served at many posts on his first tour of duty, among other fresh conscripts, and he re-enlisted at every opportunity to explore Kodor's extensive borders. He has watched the walls of Midfast in the south, been stationed to garrison Port Volodar, Vladivor, Vladovar, sorry, Kodorn names, I don't talk much, they get very mispronounced, and spent time in the frozen icy peaks bordering rule. It took 20 years of service to find his true home with the unbreakable 111th Infantry Battalion, the core of the 1st Border Legion. Since his transfer there in 593 AR, Kogorovich has refused to leave the 111th. He enjoys nothing more than pitting wits and abilities against the southern enemies. In 598 AR, he accepted promotions to Folkovnik only because he was given command over the entire battalion. Gorovich commanded the 111th during the years of constant warfare between Ravensgar and Northgard. There he became one of the most recognized and trusted officers serving on the front lines. After the fall of Northgard, Gagorovich and the 111th were among the most unrelenting Kadorns to pursue the retreating Signarn First Army. The First Border Legion pushed the Signarns all the way south of the Dragon's Tongue River to Cor Corvus and Point Bourne, where they remain after the declaration of the ceasefire. Gogorovich looks across the river at the city of Corvus and keeps his men in a state of readiness, anticipating the orders he knows must soon come. Gogorovich is famed for his or oratory powers, and commanding ring of his voice rises the eloquent and passionate speeches that push his men to heroic acts of sacrifice in the name of the motherland. They are willing to even throw themselves in harm's way to protect their god of battle. God of battle, Joseph Gorovich. He is quite the talker. I've actually seen him do talks at some of the colleges, although he doesn't travel out much just because he likes the 111th. He always stays there. So when you do get an opportunity to hear him talk, go see it because it is... It is great. It's almost like Karen Ursk do one of his uh, tacticians in Korsk, but, you know, again, hard to find and not very often. But yeah, 
This guy is a powerhouse. He has fantastic abilities for any Winter Guard army. He is a staple. Get this man in there if you can. But let's read over his Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes. Alrighty, well, let's go over the Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes. Alright, so they removed patriotic speeches. Um, but they actually just replaced a battle plan, which is basically the same thing. He still has a mat of 7, so he's really good at melee combat. Rat of 6, pretty decent at shooting. Um, he carries a saber instead of a axe, so he has a little bit better stuff. He only has a hand cannon instead of a blunderbuss, but he is a Kovnik and not an officer. Uh, his hand cannon's only a range 12 and POW 12, and he has gunfighter and, of course, dual attack because this guy has been doing this for decades. His battle plans include... well. Let's go over what he what he lost. They removed his patriotic speeches, so bear strength is out, courage of the forefathers is out, and for the motherland is out. What they gave him is desperate pace, so he gives a winter guard unit plus two speed on their normal movement, which is great. Um, they gave him fight to the last, which I imagine that will be replacing his courage of the forefathers, because uh, courage of the forefathers originally gave models fearless. And tough, but fearless is no longer a thing because, well, everybody's in battle, so most people are fearless. Uh, but it does give them tough, so he gives them tough. Well, and the ability for them not to be knocked down because of their weapon attachments or their leader leader attachments is awesome. Uh, he also gave them precision strike, but this one, his precision strike doesn't target a certain person. What it does is it actually gives every model within 10 inches of him the ability to see through other friendly models as if they're not there. So that's actually great because then you don't have to worry about line of sight. So it kind of made up for the rifleman's loss of that ability. So Grigorovich just gave it to everybody, which is awesome. Um, one of the moves he still has is Sacrificial Pawn, Winter Guard. So if he is shot by an enemy range attack, um, one of the winter guards will near him will actually just jump in front of the shot for him. So keeps this guy alive a lot longer, especially since this guy, uh, he's pretty hardy, but you know, at only a defense 12 armor 14, if he's hit with something big, he'll be taken out. So it's good that his men protect him at all costs. So yeah, Grigorovich is still a fantastic model to keep on your army. And he still is a very, very useful to keep everything flowing pretty dang smooth. But let's move on. Alright, we're going to be going on to the Assault Commandos, which are the specialist trencher models against well, Signar, who uses trenchers. These guys are specialized crazy stuff. These guys have specialized armor, specialized breathing ma mass, so they're not affected by smoke, corrosion, fire. These guys are fantastic. And they're very futuristic, and they are actually trained specifically by Commander Strokov, who is, well, he's a trencher himself, or he's a assault commando himself, so yeah, he trains these guys specifically. He's really good at it. But let's go over the fun stuff about it. Assault Commandos, Kodor Unit. Death is but one moment. Victory endures. The Motherland's wars have given rise to a new type of soldier bolstered with the defiant patriotism and grim resolve. Brutal and effective, the assault commandos are the edge of the Gadorn sword of conquest. Serving on the front lines of Western Amorn's most hostile battlefields, these troops drive the enemy from the trenches and break their will using cold, calculated efficiency. 
assault commandos are an evolution in trench warfare. Heavily armored and armed, they make use of advanced alchemical weapons to augment their battle training. They advance on the enemy behind the walls of shields, opening fire with their carbines and poisoning the air with choking gas. Led by Commander Viktor Strokov, the commandos proved pivotal in the siege of Northgard. Their aim fouled by gas and their eyes burning and blurry, hundreds of gravediggers were swept up in systematic slaughter. The commandos are armored with the latest Viscari carbines, complete with gun blades ready to rip through the armor and flesh of and underslung canisters launching to deliver a deliberating payload of sickening strangle gas. Golden Crucible Alchemy has refined their equipment so that Commando's armor is resistant to fire, acid, and arcane assault. Their masks protect them from the lingering effects of their own insidious weaponry, while allowing their visions to pierce billowing clouds of smoke and fog of war. Yeah, and these guys are these guys are designed to throw smoke, to throw gas, to get in there, to remove people off the field. Like, these guys are amazing. And to have an entire army of these guys is even more so. So, especially if you have Thrakov running them. Yeah, you want to have these guys running. But let's see their Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes. See if they got any kind of nerfing or got any better or, you know, about the same. Alrighty, let's go over their stats. Still a speed 6. Uh, their mat actually went up to a 7 from a 6, so they're actually a little better in melee combat. Rat's still a 6. Uh, their defense went up to 13. Armor 14, so their defense got a little bit better. And it appears they have removed some things off these guys. Well, what they didn't remove, they still have immunity to corrosion and fire, which is great. And they still have their alchemic alchemic masks which allows them to see through gas effects and ignore cloud effects which is great uh, it looks like they removed the assault and battery um, I imagine that's because they have dual attacks so that kind of removes that um, shield wall actually has become more efficient instead of it being an order that you know takes up an action um, they actually just get shield wall so while they're base to base they just get plus two armor and can't be knocked down instead of the plus four armor from the original it just makes it way easier to work with. Um, looks like uh, they were given ganks, so now they get a plus two to melee attack and damage rolls while they're within stuff with or while they're within melee with another person in their army or unit. Um, looks like looks like that will actually get them up pretty high, getting them to a power twelve on their gun blades. Um, but they actually removed their grenade launchers, unfortunately. I wonder if they're just trying to make these guys move a little quicker. So they removed their grenade launcher that gave them the strangle gas. That's unfortunate. Uh, they still have smoke bomb, however, so that's great. Uh, but they were given their ranged weapon of a carbine range 10. Uh, they have gunfighters, so they can attack while in melee, giving them, a, giving them three different attacks. Uh, their gun blade was also given brutal charge which gives them an additional plus two. So these guys charging in with a POW-10 gun gets them up to a POW-14 with gang and brutal charge. So, and that's on both their gun blade. Well, that's just on their gun blade. But they have an assault shield, so gang gets them up to a POW-12. So yeah, these guys can actually take out some take out some uh, models in melee pretty dang well. But let's move on the assault commando flamethrower which this weapon attachment was again moved to a three-man unit and flames are always fun so let's go read their stuff 
assault commando, a flamethrower, well, unit now. The southerners complain our winters are too cold, so we warm them in their trenches for them. It's the Kadoran hospitality. The assault commander, Maxim Shavov. Well, that's kind of dark and disturbing, but of course, you know, flames are flames, so, and it is war. In a short time since the assault commandos were first deployed to the no man's land between Ravensgard and Northgard, they have been embroiled in escalating conflict that has consumed the Thornwood and penetrated Signar's former borders. The never-ending arms race between nations has led to the Kadoran High Command to embrace any weapon that may give them an advantage, no matter how inhumane. The flamethrower issued to commandos or commando squads inspired our conflicts with the Southern Menites. It was current production models of the weapon that has been several generations of less effective prototypes. The huge canister strapped to the commando's back feeds the propellant gun he carries in place of his standard carbine. Fueled by the explosive alchemical agents, the weapon produces gouts of flames that are devastating in the confined earthwork where commandos typically operate. As with any new weaponry, weaponry, there has been several unfortunate incidences of friendly fire and fatal accidents with his gear. Nevertheless, the harsh training regiment of the assault commandos has prepared them for such battlefield realties, and they do not lack for volunteers. Few flamethrowers brought to bear in coordination can incinerate whole squads of enemy troops, killing many outright and leaving horrific demoralized wounds on those who survive. The jelly-like fuel clings to flesh as it burns, causing lesions that are not only extremely painful and damaging, but also slow to heal. Trenchers have come to fear the Kadoran flame guns greatly and concentrate hails of lead on those who carry them. The life of an assault commando who wields the flamethrower may be short, but he can be sure that many of the motherlands will fall before him. Let's go over the Mark III to Mark IV changes. And yeah, these guys... Well, anybody who's spraying a flamethrower is kind of awful, and most of the time you only see men I choose it, so... Yeah. Let's go over the Mark III to Mark IV changes. Alright, so these guys are now a unit of three. And let's go over what they kept. Uh, well, let's go over their stats first. Speed 6, their mat went up to a 7, so these guys are still fantastic in melee. Uh, their defense went up to a 13, so they're just a little bit better in not getting hit. Uh, their armor is still 14. They still have immunity to corrosion. They still have immunity to fire, which makes sense. They still have dual attack, which makes sense. And they still have their alchemic mask, so they still have the ability to see through cloud effects like they're not there. And their weapon is still a rat 6, spray 8, and 12 giving them, uh, well, it's a flame attack plus flame continuous effect. So fire continuous effect. So every turn you don't get it off you, it's another power 12 damage roll, which is, well, is deadly to people that don't have heavy armor, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, they, and they still have shield wall. So, well, actually they were given shield wall because originally they didn't have shield wall anymore, but now they are given shield wall. So if they're touching each other, they get a plus two armor. Um, also, fun fact, they no longer explode when they die. So I guess they fixed their problem with uh, their canister getting punctured and lighting flame, which, which used to cause a huge explosion. 
and fire effect to everybody around them. So that was awful. But yeah, these guys are um, great at what they do. Great at running trenches. Great at clearing trenchers, basically. And yeah, look forward to seeing more of these guys in the field. Not against them, but you know, alongside them. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the final item in the Winter Guard assembly, which is be the Winter Guard gun carriage. The ideal weapon of total war for the modern battlefield calls for speed and decisive firepower. Supreme Commandant Gervalt Urusk. Smashing through enemy lines with bone-crushing speed, the gun carriage is the perfect weapon to support Kodor's massive shock attack. The rolling thunder of the charging horse's hooves is punctuated by devastating effects by the terrible report of its massive guns. Soldiers are crushed into the earth as it shatters formations, its crew firing the colossal guns at point-blank range. Everything about the gun carriage is calculated to intimidate the enemy. Painted in the traditional imperial red of Kodor, it gives every appearance as an iron fortress, being pulled into battle by a pair of steel horses. The sight alone gives foes pause, but the deafening sound of its two heavy cannons firing strikes fear into the hearts of the most stalwart knights and the most hardened veterans. The ordnance fire by each cannon is unthinkably destructive. At each blast annihilates everything over a wide area, such the power of each explosion that even the ground is deformed, a testament to the undeniable power of the Gadorn Empire. Kodor has long utilized the armed carriages of various configurations in war. Some of the earliest examples of field artillery used at the end of the Orgoth occupation were little more than Carderic siege guns dragged on a horse-drawn sleds. As warjacks rose to prominence, armored war wagons went out of favor in many parts of western Amorn, but the simplicity of the horse-drawn gun appealed to the Gadorn military mind. Because the carriage could carry guns too large for even warjacks, their utility was never questioned in Kodor. The huge carriage is drawn by a pair of powerful Cardic or Umbrian draft horses, bred to be as large and physically powerful as possible. The horses themselves are as heavily armored as possible, ensuring that even the most vulnerable portions of the carriage can weather concentrated enemy fire. The resilience of the gun carriage is equaled by its destructive power. A crew of Winter Guard work feverishly within the cramped confines of the load and fire the main guns. With skilled gain from long months of training followed by battle experience, the crew are capable of firing the massive guns with great accuracy even while racing headlong towards the enemy. Another Winter Guard serves as spotter and sharpshooter, taking careful aim from the precarious position atop the carriage at any who attempt to slip past the main guns. This is a duty reserved for the most talented marksmen of the guard, as they must be able to compensate for the constant jarring of their position. And I've actually never seen these in battle. Most of the time I usually just see the jacks, but I imagine if the battles are large enough, they start whipping out the gun carriages, because these things can run some heavy, heavy ordnance at breakneck speeds for such a large thing. These guys run faster than warjacks, which for something as large is terrifying to the enemy, I imagine. But let's read their Mark III to Mark IV changes, shall we? Alrighty, so these guys are still a construct. They still have breakthrough. So these guys can actually run through models without having to worry about them stopping them. Uh, they still have dual attack, which makes sense since they're a gun carriage. Um, looks like 
they were given reposition, which is great because after their normal movement, these guys can move up to an additional three, which I feel like is a normal thing that they have for a lot of uh, horse models or models that have horses or mounts on them. I think it just makes it easier for everybody. Uh, however, their speed actually went up to eight, so it was seven, now it's eight. Great, they're faster. Uh, their mat and rat went up to a six. Uh, their rat was a five, now it's a six. Defense dropped to a nine, unfortunately. Uh, their armor is still 20, and they're still repairable. Um, things that it removed were ret weapon platform, but this guy, since they updated Mark IV to give a lot of models dual attack, this guy just has dual attack. That makes sense. And they removed rear attacks just because every model has 360 degree vision now, so it was kind of unnecessary to keep that going. Uh, they removed trampling hooves and its mount knockdown knockdown ability, but they actually just gave its melee attack trampling hooves. That's what it's called now. It's not an ability, and it auto smites. So whatever it hits, it slams D6 directly away from the model. So, yeah, that's kind of intense, and its mount is actually a PAL-14 now, rather than a PAL-12 like it was in the original version. Its guns on it, particularly its heavy cannons, um, still have a rat of 6. Well, now it has a rat of 6, and compared to the original, that was rat 5. Its range dropped down to 10 inches. Its AoE dropped down to 3, which is main model hit, plus 3 models within 3, take the hit. Its power on its weapons actually went up to a 16 from a 14, so it's hitting things a lot harder. And it still does crater, or craters on a direct hit. Well, that's that's to be kind of decided how that goes. It gives, on a direct hit, models hit suffer a minus two speed. So not really a crater AoE, more of just a, you hit models, models hit, get slowed down. So that's fun. Um, and it still has its military rifle, range 10, power 11. So, yeah, this guy's damage output went way up with a two power 16 cannons, which makes perfect sense since they said that the cannons that this thing carries has to be heavier than a warjack, and if a standard destroyer warjack already has a power 14 cannon, these guys have to be just a little bit better, which makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, but... Well, that concludes all of our Winter Guard and Associates. So, well, I suppose next week we're actually going to be going into the Tharn with the Orboros, so I'll be on the lookout for that. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you do like this, please like, subscribe, comment, let your friends and fellow gamers know so we can keep this guy rolling. And thank you again, Privateer Press, for letting us read you our fantastic lore. And as always, your comments really do help keep this channel alive, keep it going. Your likes help me keep going. And we'll see you all next week. Class dismissed.